so glad y'all are here this morning. Last week, I issued a challenge to you to begin this year by, ado- by adopting a biblical worldview. Now, just to briefly summarize what that means from last week, a biblical worldview is seeing the world through the lens of the Bible by taking any given scenario, situation, world event, you name it, and viewing it through a biblical lens. Seeing the world through a biblical lens can only be done by seeing the world as God sees it. So how does God see the world? Well, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tell us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. If God sent Jesus to the world in order that the world might be saved then we have no choice but to engage with others by loving them as Jesus does. Now, before I go any any further, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids for Kids Church. I almost forgot. I'm so sorry. I didn't make a note this week. I even said last week, if I don't make a note at the top of my notes, then I will forget, and here we are, me forgetting. So, y'all are going to go have a good time with Miss Janie. I know that for a fact. So, I also mentioned last week that we are looking forward to all that God is going to be doing here in this new year. I I can't begin to imagine how God is going to use our church, but in whatever way he does use us, we need to be prepared for a year of revival. We We are living in a place and time where people are constantly asking for answers. People want have questions, and they want answers to those questions. People are more open now, I think, than they have been in a very long time to the idea of having a relationship with Jesus. Now, from my personal view on life and my personal view of the world, I spend way too much time on TikTok and Twitter, okay? Most people my age probably do. However, when you dive into certain aspects and areas of Twitter and TikTok, you learn very quickly that there are people on there asking questions, And then there are also people providing answers in the replies and the mentions in the comments section. And this is no different on all social media. But we see this, I see it often with people my age and younger on TikTok and Twitter. Those seem to be two of the more engaging websites in that that area. So, but however, these things are happening, but they're only happening in a virtual space. They're happening in what I would call a virtual reality. They're not happening in real life. They're not the most basic of conversations. They're not one-on-one. And by the way, as a sidebar, only watching the church live stream is not a substitute for attending church. Just wanted to throw that in there. There are people who are desperately asking for an encounter to take place in their lives. They, They want answers to questions both big and small. And amongst the many questions they're asking, they want to know anything they can about God. People want to know anything they can about God. They'll come up with some of the weirdest potential ideas about God and ask you these questions. It happens to me all the time. I hope it happens to you as well. So often I I hear stories or have conversations with people who say they don't know how to talk to someone they know about Jesus, saying they're too nervous to even speak on the subject. Well, the truth is one of the easiest things in the world to do is to let fear come over you in that moment. And in moments like those, and ironically, actually, also one of the easiest things in the world to do is to go up to somebody and talk to them about Jesus. 
You can look at it all you want and say, that's too hard. Or you can look at it and say, wow, this is really easy. Two of the easiest things in the world to do right there is to just let it go away or actually go up and do it. Case in point, when I was in high school, going into my senior year, I came back from our summer camp with this very heavy desire to start a a Bible study in in my school. I I didn't know how that was going to go down. I didn't know what that looked like. But I, I heard a message from a guy named Andrew Vandergrift, those of you who have gone to camp and gone to Colorado, you know who I'm talking about, but Drew got up and he gave me, he gave not me, but gave this message to us at camp that radically shifted my life into being just a little bit more evangelistic. And as a result, myself and a friend of mine began a Bible study, or began the process of starting a Bible study in a room off to the side of the cafeteria at Brewer High School. There were also one or two occasions where an assistant principal known as Jason Ferguson sat in on a couple of those, and also my former uh, head principal, his name was uh, Lorimer Orenzer, I think is how you pronounce his last name. He is now home with the Lord, lost battle with cancer a few years ago. We called him Mr. A. He was the coolest principal I ever had. He had a sweater vest he wore every Thursday, and it became known as Sweater Vest Thursday, and people took that on and did it. That was free stuff, but man, that was he was a really cool guy and a, and a, and a loving um, Christian as well, very good uh, administrator. And just by simply taking that step forward with a friend of mine, talking with her and spreading the word around the school about this Bible study. We were having Bible study in just a matter of weeks by going through the proper channels. One of the largest groups that we had at one point in time was about 15. Now, you may think, well, 15, Brewer's got like 500 per grade. Yeah, okay, there's 15 other people that I got to share the gospel with. Had I not otherwise been able to share the gospel with, had I not started this Bible study? I saw that as a victory. I saw that as a momentous victory, and it shaped how I would move forward in an evangelistic uh, lifestyle. We see moments very similar to this in in Scripture, modeled by Jesus and other heroes of the faith as, as well. Jesus was all about this. He was all about having conversations in small groups, one on one, and also in massive gatherings. He knew how to do all of it, he knew how to adjust himself to do those things. Some of the most notable moments where this does take place are actually the story of the woman at the well or the woman of Samaria in John chapter 4 and also Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 as we read from that just a moment ago. In John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus showing us that even 2,000 years ago, people had questions about how to receive salvation. Those questions have never stopped, by the way. 2,000 some odd years later, people still have questions about how to receive Jesus as their Savior. Whether they are misguided or not, people want to know how they can have eternal life. We need to be ready to take those questions and answer them to the best of our abilities. And then in John 4, Jesus waits for the woman to approach the well in order to have the conversation that he was about to have with her. What we learn from both of these stories is there are some people who want to have an encounter with God, and there are some who need to have an encounter with God. We're living in a day and age where this, this has never been, I feel like, more real. Maybe it's just it gets more and more real as time goes on. But for those of us who want to have an encounter with God, the easiest way to seek him out is through prayer and finding someone who can help answer questions to be like a guide for us. That's why we have discipleship groups. That's why we have pastors. That's why we have ministers. That's why we have churches. That's why we do what we do every Sunday, is to answer these kinds of questions, to be a guide. 
This is what Nicodemus did in John chapter 3. By approaching Jesus, he is saying to him, I want to have an encounter with you. It's a beautiful thing for someone to say, I want to have an encounter with Jesus. And I hope that that is still something you say to yourself every day of your life, that you want to have an encounter with Jesus. There are also those of us who are in desperate need of an encounter with God. The truth is, we're all sinners. We know that. And if someone in here is perfect, I'm I'm shocked, okay? But I know none of y'all are perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. Just ask my wife or my parents. They'll tell you I am not perfect. Or my siblings, yes. Thank you, Gavin. But because we are all sinners and we are separated from God because of our sin, God has done this incredible thing. He has provided to us a mediator who through him all our sins are dealt with, and we call him Jesus. We know him to be our Lord and Savior. When Jesus came to earth, as we celebrated in the previous weeks, he did so in total awareness of what the outcome would be. But through his death, he knew would come eternal life for all who would believe in him. As it says in Romans 10 verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One of the most beautiful verses in all of scripture right there. If you were to examine the ministry of Jesus, you would see the number of people who needed an encounter with him are are innumerable. You cannot actually, I mean, you could probably page by page go and count every person who needed to have an encounter with Jesus. But even if you look at the grand scheme of history, there's no way to count the number of people who needed to have an encounter with Jesus. We are living in this very desperate age where people need to have encounters with him. The multitudes he spoke to, the, the people he healed, the conversations he had were all drenched in desperation to some degree. And the truth is, we are now, even in this day and age, still drenched in desperation. We are very much drenched in desperation. Yes, there are believers who continue to search the Bible for answers, and they're doing so diligently. I imagine many of you are falling into that category. But I'm not talking about believers who study and yearn for God daily. There are people who know very little about God, who are trying to cling on to anything they can get their hands on that will give them faith. And I think that's one of the reasons that there's so constantly people trying to figure out each other's astrological signs. To this day, I still don't understand why you care about that. I mean, you probably think, well, we don't know why you care about Star Wars. I don't care. I don't, I don't care that you don't care, okay? And I don't care about astrological science. At the same time, we still also have people saying, well, I subscribe to this philosophical belief, but I also subscribe to this philosophical belief. And they have no idea that when they're subscribing to both, that often they're contradicting their own beliefs. It happens all the time. People will cling on to anything they can that will give them faith in God. And they'll say, well, this has got to be in the Bible. So often it's not. So often these are the kinds of people that are headed towards a place that the Bible calls hell. And as I said last week, we have the answers to questions these people are asking. We, we have these answers. With that being said, let's, let's look at the life of a woman whose, whose life was headed in that direction but was radically shifted 
and changed by an encounter with Jesus. So a woman who wasn't expecting an encounter with God, but at the end of it, she learns just how desperate she actually was for this encounter. John 4 is probably one of the most preached from uh, chapters in the Bible. Would you agree with me, Don? There you go. See, you, you can go to any conference, you can go to any youth camp, you can go to any whatever. John 4 was definitely on the table before the preacher got up to, to preach. It happens all the time. But I think that John 4 is one of the most preached from books of the Bible for three reasons. One of these reasons is that the central character is a woman. Now, just to be perfectly honest with you, as a man, it's very difficult to relate to a woman, okay? That plain and simple. So pastors like to preach on women who they know, okay, this is relatable to women. But also, the second reason that this gets preached on a lot is that the central character is a sinner. Therefore, both men and women can relate to this character in, in this story. And not just a character. The character, I don't like, I, I say it all the time, but I hate saying character because this isn't a storybook. This is fact. So this is an actual person that lived. Um, so this is a real-life person who was definitely a woman and a sinner. So there right off the bat, we can relate to her. But then the third reason is, and I think this is the, probably the most important reason, is that Jesus offers hope in this story. Not just to this woman, but as we'll learn from the story as we go forward, an entire town, and also to us. See, the central character being a woman, I, I hate that so often the world has turned the Bible into this, this God-hates-women type of situation, when if you just sit down and read story after story about women in the Bible, that's not even close to the case. Just look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. That's all, that's all the evidence you need to know that God does not hate women. He used a woman to bring about himself into the world that would bring about eternal life. Okay, so right then and there, that movement squashed, okay? This is why studying your Bible is so important, and it makes me so happy. Also, the central character being a sinner, because the woman from Samaria is a sinner, she's relatable to all people. And also, with Jesus offering hope, in a world of people searching for answers, the next thing they want is something to give them hope and something to believe in, as I've said like 40 times up to this point. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to read all 45 verses of the story of the woman of Samaria. Now, that would be a lot of fun. I would enjoy doing that. I don't know if y'all would, but I'm going to hit the highlights. I'm going to hit some recaps as well. That way, we can kind of get most of the story. And I very much encourage you to go and read John chapter 4 in its entirety. But while Jesus was on the way to Galilee... He decides to take an alternate route to get there. He takes the road through Samaria. Now, his disciples were against this because they were racist. That's just the fact of the matter right there. They were just being flat racist. Upon entering Samaria, Jesus stops at the well during the hottest part of the day, waiting for someone to come by with the means to draw water. He didn't have a pitcher. He needed something to drink out of. He was waiting on somebody to come by. Eventually, this woman comes to the well, and this is when Jesus has a conversation with her that will change her life, will change the course of her life. In John chapter 4, 13 through 15 is the conversation about living water. I have it on the screen for you to refer to if you'd like. I'm not going to read those directly at this moment. But he describes, Jesus describes never thirsting again. And speaking of never thirsting again, I have the living water within me. My tongue still needs this physical water. He doesn't speak of a physical thirst. Jesus doesn't. But of a thirst for righteousness. 
He speaks of a thirst for righteousness. And Jesus actually said something very similar about thirsting for righteousness in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mountain, verse 6, where he says, Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's no greater satisfaction than putting your faith and trust in Jesus. I remember seeing a Bible tract. Y'all remember those Bible tracts? You pass them out and they always have weird, like, I don't know, like Turner Burn stuff on them. You know what I'm talking about? I remember seeing this Bible tract many years ago. I think I was on like a mission trip to Mexico, which is also so stereotypical. But I'm on this mission trip to Mexico, and we're passing out these Bible tracts. I had, it dawned on me, because I was only like in the seventh grade at the time. It dawned on me like by about day two of passing these tracts out, I hadn't even sat down and read one. I didn't even know what it was saying, so I sat down and read one. I remember seeing this one, and it was this track that it pulled the Rolling Stones song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. And then it had, because I try, and I try, and I try, and there's Mick Jagger with the largest mouth in rock and roll. But it said that it was using this as a witnessing tool, saying that even one of the greatest rock stars of all time, Mick Jagger, couldn't find the satisfaction he desired. Now, whether or not that aspect of that story is true, I have no idea if Mick Jagger ever said, you know what, I have no idea how to get satisfied, and actually meant that. I just assumed it was just some rock and roll song. I don't know if he ever actually understood what that was like, but what I do know is that no amount of rock and roll legendarium could ever satisfy a soul destined for hell. There, there's no chance. If you look at every rock star that's ever lived, I guarantee you those who don't have a relationship with Jesus are living in sin, and this isn't just for rock stars, this is any person, okay? I'm just, it's an example. They all will tell you, I, I don't know what to do. I'm not satisfied in whatever I'm doing with my life. This woman of Samaria... She thirsted for righteousness. She desperately wanted righteousness. She never wanted to thirst again, even though she hadn't totally realized it just yet. In John chapter 4, verse 11, she asked Jesus once where she can get the living water. And then again in John 4, 15, she asked him for the living water. Where do I get it? Can I have it? Those are her two questions. Where do I get it? And can I have it? And Jesus does not hand her a pitcher of water. What he says is of much more importance to her spirituality because he is addressing the heart and the root of her sins. He goes forward in verses 16 through 18 and, and says, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The Bible then says that she perceives Jesus to be a prophet. She's never met Jesus before in her life, has no idea who he is very early on in Jesus' ministry. So he's not had like the, the, the big like uh, breakthrough moment just quite yet. He's having these small conversations, this being one of them. She says, I perceive you to be a prophet, and then asks him where she should worship God in the mountains as their forefathers did or in the temple in Jerusalem because as a result in case you are unfamiliar Samaritans are a mixed race between Jews and some other race they the Jews looked down on them thus the racism the disciples had issued to them just a few or issued to them just a few moments ago and probably in the midst of looking for food as they were doing were just constantly doing this Everywhere they walked, which that's my mean mug face, but in the context of racism, it's pretty on spot, I think. The Bible says that she perceives Jesus to be a prophet and wants to know where she should worship God. Jesus goes on in verses 21 through 24 saying, Woman, or otherwise saying, Lady, ma'am, 
Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I ask you today, church, is that still true today? Is God still seeking people who will worship him? I think of Genesis chapter 32 and there being a man named Jacob who was later renamed Israel. Who he, He's in this moment, he sends his family on ahead of him. They're on their way to the land of Canaan, which eventually would become the land of Israel. The people That's the chosen, the promised land, if you will. And he's having this moment with Jesus. Yes, Jesus in the Old Testament, this is referred to in theological terms as a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. He sits there and wrestles with Jesus physically all night long until Jesus has kind of got him in a, in a, is in a weird hold and Jacob's got him in a hold and Jesus is like, man, the sun's coming up. We got we to gotta knock this off. We got to quit. And he goes, I will not let you go until you bless me. The world is still waiting for a blessing from Jesus and when we wrestle all night long with Jesus, Don't let go of him until you say, Lord, bless me. If you're wrestling with Jesus now and you're in a stage in your life where you're wrestling with God, hold on to him until you can find a place to say, Jesus, I just need you to bless me. This is what Jacob was doing. And by the way, this is what the woman at the well is saying. She's like, I need this blessing and I'm not getting out of this conversation until I receive this blessing. Because as I just said, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And I ask you, church, is that still true today? Yes, I believe it is. Is God still seeking for such people, people who will worship in spirit and truth? I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. We're still here a whole nother year. We made it another trip around the sun. So I'm assuming he's still looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And here's another important question. Are we seeking people who can join us who will worship in spirit and in truth as well? Are we seeking people out? Because God is. I believe he is. Now the question for the Christian is, are we? Are you? Am I? I hinted at this a little bit last week. We need to make sure we're answering this question because here's what's something cool about this word spirit and truth. The word spirit here, when compared to other texts, means to have a disposition of one who has the Holy Spirit within them. Jesus saying, hey, the Father is searching for people who have the Spirit within them. Do you want to have the Spirit within you is what he is saying to this woman in Samaria. And I believe he's saying the same thing to us even now in this day. And the word truth literally means fact. The exact same words, truth and fact. I know that in the English language, we like to have a bunch of words that mean the same thing. But here, truth and fact are the exact same word that Jesus is here saying to this woman. So, the fact is Jesus is asking this woman if she has a spirit of worship within her. Saying, do you have a spirit of worship within you? Because I, if you don't, I'd like to hand it over to you, is what he's saying. And at this point in the story, if you just stop there and kind of think about what we've just read, she doesn't. It would appear 
She doesn't have a spirit of truth within her, a spirit to worship within her. But guess what? This story is not over. The story has one of the coolest endings of any biblical story in all of God's word. Verses 39 through 42, still in John chapter 4, says many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Who is him? Jesus. Because of this, now this is an important part, because of this woman's story. They believed in Jesus because of somebody else. Now, let's hold on to that for just a second. And it says, he told me all that I ever did was what her testimony was. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. And don't you think his disciples were just like, what are we doing? Why are we here for two days? We, don't, we didn't even need to be here this long. Jesus, they're Samaritans. I want to get out of here. And Jesus is like, calm down. You're going to talk to them eventually anyway. That's, that's Acts chapter 1, by the way. So they stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. So first they believed because of the woman's testimony. Now they believe because of his word, Jesus' word. So they, the crowd, said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. First they heard the testimony of somebody else who believed, and then they themselves had an encounter with Jesus that then turned their lives around and then those group of people, that group of people who saw him and believed in him, then were given eternal life. They adopted this spirit of uh, this Holy Spirit and they looked in the, into him and saw the truth of his words. This woman gave her testimony of her life to her town, which by the way, if you dig deeper into this woman's life, that was not an easy thing to do for her. The shame that sat with this woman must have been exponential. It must have been incredible. So the fact that she was able to say, this man told me all that I ever did, somebody would have said to her, what did you do? If they didn't already know, by the way. She introduced her town to Jesus, and because of that introduction, these people came to faith in Jesus as, the, as their Savior and also the Savior to the world. Church, Jesus has been seeking out people who need an encounter with him for a very long time. And he's still doing it even now. As he did 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth, he hasn't stopped seeking people. He never will stop seeking people until his father says, Hey, son, bring my children home. We're waiting on the day where we can have that glorious family reunion in heaven. And until that day comes, which, by the way, we're here a whole other year, so clearly the last two years, as much as those, th those two years absolutely sucked, we're about to get into something really, really cool, I think, because I think Jesus is going to be doing some really awesome things here in 2022, not just through our church, but all the remaining churches that didn't close down in the last two years, all the remaining faithful, all the pastors who stuck through the absolute crap that the last couple of years were. I know I said suck and crap, get over it. We're moving through all of that. And I think Jesus is going to be doing some really cool stuff this year. There are people who are still seeking this encounter. He's not going to stop until Jesus is told, bring them home. 
And on that day, when the redeemed of Christ and the dead in Christ, by the way, will rise first, oh, what a day of rejoicing. We will once again have joy that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden before they sinned. That's the kind of joy we're looking forward to one day. And I hope that one day we will all be able to see the people that we brought with us and say, hey, I know you need an encounter. Come on, let's have the encounter together. I want you to have an encounter. Heck, I want an encounter. You need one. Come on. Bring them to church. There's a lot of empty seats in here, y'all. We need to get some people in here, not just so we can say, look, we had 100 people in attendance and our offering was all the way up here. No, that's not why we do church. We do church because people are asking questions and we have answers. If we're not going to provide answers, who the heck will? We need to be ready to go and answer some daggum questions. Jesus is offering this eternal security. But by the way, the eternal security is not a free pass. I remember a long time ago, I was probably I was probably a freshman at DBU. So this is 2012, 13, somewhere in there. We're in the office, and Bosch was actually leading a young adults college class at the time, and he pulled up this video to us, and he showed us this uh, short, like, 15-minute documentary of people walking around um, Times Square. And this guy with the camera and a microphone was going up to people and saying, do you believe in God? And what does that mean? Camera focuses in on this one girl. At the time, I remember, wow, she's like my age. She was probably, you know, late teens, early 20s. And and she said, oh, yeah, I believe in God. And he goes, what does that mean to you? He goes, oh, it means that I can do whatever the heck I want, and one day I'll get to go to heaven. She had it all wrong, and people believe that every day of their lives. And they think that there's this free pass that comes with us, but Jesus sought that woman out. He waited for her. He sought you and I out, and he bought us with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory with his redeeming blood. He plunged you to victory with his redeeming blood. And when you let that blood run off the cross and just fall into the dirt, what does that look like? It sends a massive message to the world that I don't care if you die and go to hell. That's what that says. As I said last week, I live on a third-story apartment Three people live around me. I know for a fact they're on their way to hell. How do I know that? I smell marijuana and I hear arguing. Not that smoking weed is into hell. I'm just saying it's illegal. But, you know, I I hear, I I, I smell it and I hear what's going on between the walls. And every conversation I can hear through the very thin apartment walls, I think, man, why am I not talking to these people? I'm saying, I'm okay if you die and go to hell. That's, That's what I'm saying. That's, that's essentially what I'm saying when I don't go. I'm not going to go and knock on their door because I don't like to do that. I don't want to invade. But I do, I've been praying all week, God, let me have an encounter with my neighbors. Let me have an encounter with my neighbors. Every time I walk out the door to go do something for me or Hillary, go to the store, get gas, whatever, I'm praying, God, send my neighbors my way so I can have an encounter. And it hadn't happened yet, so I'm still waiting on that encounter to come. 
I'm still waiting on God to do something. And I hope that you would adopt that same prayer as we move into 2022. Because as I've already said, we're expecting a year of revival. Not just in this church, not just in this community, not just in this state. But we're talking about America, across the world. We're looking for a revival. Because people, again, as I've said so many times today, have questions and we have answers. They're seeking these answers. My prayer is that when we go to them, we can show them this blueprint that God has given us so that they might have a relationship with Jesus and come to grips with who he is. There are people all around us seeking this encounter with Jesus, and there are some who aren't seeking that encounter with him, but they need to. They need it. Maybe you are an individual who wants an encounter with Jesus. This is what I would say to you. Continue to seek him daily and remain faithful to his calling on your life. This time I'd like us to go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm just going to say a few things as the band comes back up. We're going to do one final song before we get out of here today. And then after that, Brother Brandon's going to come and give us some of our announcements. As I just said, there are people who want to have an encounter with Jesus and if that's you, continue to seek him daily. But maybe there's, maybe there's someone here, maybe there's somebody watching online this morning or listening back on our podcasts, and maybe you are the individual who needs the encounter and have never trusted Christ as your Savior. I'm not going to go into a full-blown salvation type of situation here, but maybe you are like the people in the Samaritan town who need something to believe in. I say this to you this morning, if you are that person, we have answers to those questions. There are people all around this room who have answers that you're seeking. And I'm here to tell you today also that Jesus is the answer to all of those questions. The Bible holds the key to understanding Him and His commands holds the key to understanding what it is that God has called us all to do. And if you still need that key, if you've never been able to unlock that lock, I'm telling you, that's, that's what we're here for and that's what the Bible exists for so that we might know God better. All it takes is to just simply reach out and ask God to forgive you from your sins. That's all it takes to become a child of God. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. Boom. Right then and there, that's where that spirit and truth come in and dwell you as it did with the woman in Samaria and also the other townsfolk there that day. My final prayer today is that if there is anyone here who needs an encounter with Jesus, that they would seek him out and experience the goodness and the righteousness of God. And that those of us who know people who need an encounter, that we would go full force into 2022 and help them to have that encounter. We know they need it. Let's bring them to it. Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.